Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision of new big book study. My name is Katie F., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Wednesday, October 22nd, 2014. Today we are reading from the big book in the doctor's opinion, and we are on page XXIX, paragraph 4. Today's readers are Penny C., Larry, and Michelle H. The reference number for Tuesday, October 21st, is 6971. That's 6971. OA Preamble. O Readers Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Maura Z to read the 12 steps. Good morning, Katie. Yes, this is Maura Z, Grateful Recovering Compulsive Overeater in Virginia. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you for letting me share. Pat. Thank you. I will now ask Alice M. to read the 12 Traditions. Thank you. Sorry. This is Alice from Florida. The 12 Traditions are, one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority. A loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. 
Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest money, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, television, and other public media of communication. And twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. I pass. Thank you, Alice. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions of recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our absence requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speaker should be muted. Today, we resume our study in the big book on page XXIX, paragraph four. I will ask Penny C. to begin reading. Good morning, everybody. This is Penny C., recovered compulsive overeater in Massachusetts. I do not hold with those who believe that alcoholism is entirely a problem of mental control. I've had many men who had, for example, worked a period of months on some problem or business deal which was to be settled on a certain date favorably to them. They took a drink a day or so prior to the date, and then the phenomenon of craving at once became paramount to all other interests so that the important appointment was not met. These men were not drinking to escape They were drinking to overcome a craving beyond their mental control. There are many situations which arise out of the phenomenon of craving which cause men to make the supreme sacrifice rather than continue to fight. This paragraph or two paragraphs here um, really say a lot to me 
in that the whole idea, the first sentence that I do not hold with those who believe that alcoholism is entirely a problem of mental control, that I think the popular opinion even today is that if only those people, those those obese people, those those overweight people had any sense of willpower, they wouldn't be they wouldn't be the way they are. They wouldn't be so 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 big. And and even even I I remember going to a doctor um, years ago now and saying to him, I was looking, I was really screaming for help, and I said. I can't stop eating. I just eat even when I'm not hungry. And he just looked at me and, and he had no, I, I no longer hold any animosity toward him, but he looked at me because he had nothing else that he could offer me. And he said, I'd hate to see what you look like if you ever got hungry. And, and that's the way, unfortunately, so many of us who are still in, in the disease are being treated today. And so isn't it wonderful that that programs and meetings such as ours are helping to dispel that idea? Then I want to go down to the last um, sentence that I read about men and women making the supreme sacrifice rather than continue to fight. If anyone, if anyone does not believe that this disease is potentially fatal, let them call me. And I can relate in my own experience three, three people, three lovely, wonderful people who did, did every, every bit of them had that desire to stop overeating, but just could not, could not do it. And and actually died of this disease. One woman who came to a meeting one time and cried through the whole meeting saying, the doctor told me that if I don't stop, I'm going to die. And indeed, she had a tracheotomy so she could breathe because of the extra weight. So the only thing that I know in all my my years, and I was born the, the year this book was published, the only the only thing that I have known that that really helps people and continues to help us to stop and stay stopped is the spiritual solution which Dr. Silkworth told us about earlier in this chapter and which Bill W. is going to tell us even more about as he tells his story. So with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Penny. Who would like to share on these two paragraphs? Monica. Anna. Monica. There was someone after Monica. Then was it Kim? And then Anna? Kim, yeah. Okay. Did I miss anyone? Leah. Suji and Leah. Okay. We will go Monica, Kim, G, Anna. Suji and Leah. Monica, you're up. Good morning, Katie. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica, and I am a real compulsive, recovered compulsive overeater here this morning. All right, so here we are in the doctor's opinion. 
And he starts out this paragraph with, I do not hold with those who believe that alcoholism is entirely a problem of mental control. And and this is uh, Dr. Silkworth, of course, is in this paragraph, he's talking about, he's wanting to bring across to us the physical allergy aspect of our disease. And this was all brand new thinking here that he was bringing out that came out in this book, that we have a disease and there is a physical component to it. So that's what he's trying to explain here in this paragraph. He says that once they took a drink, the phenomenon of craving became so paramount. You know, so once I pick up and my own experience is so, you know, this is 100% right on, that once I pick up a binge food and put it into my body, I then start this craving, this intense wanting for more, more, more. And there's nothing that's going to come between me and that food. And I don't care about anything or anybody. The only thing that's going through my brain is I need more. I have to eat more. And that's because I set off the allergy with ingesting, with eating a binge food. And once I've done that, I'm on the merry-go-round. And who knows when it's going to stop. And that's what he's trying to get across here, that, you know, at that point, once I've set off the craving... I'm not eating because whatever set me off to begin with, you know, whatever the obsession, the restless, irritable, and discontentment was in the beginning. I'm not eating for those reasons now. I'm eating because I have to. I have set off this powerful, powerful craving. And there's, and that's the only way I, um, you know, the only way, uh, you're, you're on the, you're on the merry-go-round. What can I say? And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Monica. Kim G. Good morning, Katie. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. Wow, some delusions are being smashed in this paragraph. You know, it says here that, you know, the problem of mental control and the idea that something favorable was happening to him, things were going his way, yet once he picked up, the food was paramount to all others. You know, so that kind of breaks what I thought. I really thought that if I could arrange my outside circumstances to such an extent that I wouldn't need to eat. That was the delusion that I had. So the way that was smashed is, is someone asked me, you know, Kim, did you eat when you were in a bad relationship? Yes. Did you eat when you were in a good relationship? Well, yeah. Did you eat when you had lots of money? Yes. Did you eat when you had no money? Yes. Did you eat when your job was going well? Yes. Did you eat when you were unemployed? Yes. So it told me that I could not arrange my circumstances such this obsession of the mind and the allergy of the body wouldn't own me when I was in it. You know, one of the, the concepts that kind of bled into the fellowship from the rehabs in the 70s and 80s was what the, what the plan was was if you avoid certain people, places, and things, then you won't need to pick up. If you just halt, if you just w- try to avoid being hungry, angry, lonely, and tired, then you're not going to pick up, which is what this is saying, mental control. Arrange your circumstances. Keep your mind in a certain mindset, and you're not going to pick up. And let me tell you, if that strategy works for you, my hat's off to you. But I want to hypothesize you're probably not a compulsive overeater. 
Because we're going to be told over and over in these chapters that if you are an alcoholic of our type, if you are seriously alcoholic, if you are a real alcoholic, it doesn't matter what your outside circumstances are. It doesn't matter if things are happening favorably to you, unfavorably. Because you have an obsession of the mind that's going to convince you that this time the food won't hurt you. And you have an allergy of the body that's going to damn you to eat and eat and eat. So for those who think that outside circumstances are a solution, and if I can arrange my life in such a way that I'm no longer going to want to eat, I'm going to read from page 101 where it tells us what's going to happen if we think that we could get things favorable enough to us that we're not going to eat. It says in here, in, in our belief, any scheme of combating alcoholism, alcoholism which proposes to shield the sick man from temptation is doomed to failure. If the alcoholic tries to shield himself, he may succeed for a time, but he usually winds up with a bigger explosion than ever. We have tried these methods. The attempts to do the impossible have always failed. And that's my reality as the real alcoholic. I have lost the power of choice. Another thing that came from the rehabs, what is your drug of choice? Let me tell you, in my 20s, I drank my 20s away. I could tell a good AA story. But I had the power of choice to not to say I don't want to drink again, and I never drank again. I do not have that choice in OA. I do not have that choice with my binge food. It is entirely beyond my mental control. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Uh, you're up. Hi. Good morning. This is Anna H. I'm a compulsive reader. I'm recovered for today. Um, yeah, this paragraph is so powerful because it really covers it all in this one little, um, no pun intended, this one little bite. Um, it tells me about the phenomenon of craving. It tells me that if I pick up that basically everything else becomes static in the background other than the food and other than my obsession. And... Then it goes on to tell me, <clears throat> to imply at the end, and this is my favorite part, but also the most tragic part of all, that um, I'll be chasing, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> I will be chasing a, um, I'll be chasing this addiction, I'll be chasing this need to be filled that will never, never, never be quenched, ever. Um, and the only Thing that has worked one day at a time to fill it is, you know, having a power greater than myself. Um, yeah, so just in my own experience, um, I can say that program one moment at a time, one step at a time, it's an alternative to living life. These steps have been an alternative to living life the way that I was living it because I thought I had to take it all at once, take the bull by the arms and be in control. And I thought I had to do that all by myself. And I thought that, you know, I came from a background where anything that was not going my way, it was one of two things. It was either my fault because I was not being good enough or it was the world's fault, so essentially your fault for expecting too much of me. Um, and I couldn't live up to that. And so that, you know, that was my thinking. And also, how did I cope with that? By eating, you know, 
by having this addiction that would take me out of life. And um, I can't say how many times that I was set up for successful situations and, you know, perfect, perfect place, perfect people, you know, everything was aligned. Perfect is a strong word, but I guess what I'm saying is the business deal was set up. Everything was set up for me to be successful. And the timing for me was that when it was my turn to put in my part, I decided to pick up because the fear of success, the fear of being accountable, and the fear knowing deep down that food, I didn't, I wouldn't have been able to translate this at the time, but what I know now is that food was my higher power at that time. And so knowing that I was on shaky ground with that foundation that we talk about now, you know, the foundation is solid, that foundation was absolutely not there. That I knew then scared me out of any business deal. So what did I do but pick up and eat? That's the only choice I had because I didn't have these steps and I didn't have a power greater than myself. Um, and, uh, and my willpower failed me. There was some point in life when habit was not obsession yet, but after repeating and repeating and repeating this behavior over and over, habit became obsession. That's, that's how habits become habits. And then for us addicts, for me, it becomes an obsession of the mind, right? So, yeah. That's that's whenever I would choose to pick up the food, I'm giving my mind no choice but then to give over to a craving. It's that that you know threefold thing: the mental, spiritual, physical. Right. So I may have a first thought, but it's what I do with that next thought. If I give it over to my higher power, if I ask for God's help and do something different and take a different action, take the next right action. Um. But then if I decide to pick up, I've given my body no choice but to give in. That is just the biology of it. That's how my disease is set up. So I guess what I'm going to bring it back to is just saying today I'm grateful that I have these steps, that I have a connection to my higher power, that I have this connection to the group to remind me that I have this disease and that there is a solution that works and there's a way to keep me in my next right actions, and also, quote-unquote, the business deals today, which for me are service, they keep me in service. The steps, the group, the higher power keeps me in service. So one day, one moment if necessary, one hour, you know, one block of time at a time, I don't have to pick up. And the more I'm connected to my higher power, the more I'm living in this, and practicing it in all of my affairs, that those voices, the food, it goes away. It goes away. And if it comes up, <clears throat> I know today how to deal with it and how to, how to, I know that I have another choice. The only choice I used to know was picking up. So today I'm really grateful. Um, and I just want to encourage any newcomers that are out there, um, if you are, you know, if you're feeling stuck, if you're feeling like eating is the only option, there are there's another option for you. There's another option for you. Um, and we're not, we are no longer subject to this obsession. We're no longer just subject to picking up. One day at a time, 
we can become different and we get the opportunity to change. So thank you. Thank you. Uh, just a gentle reminder to please uh, talk for, limit your speaking to three minutes so we have enough time for everyone to share. Sue G, you're next. Good morning. It's Sue G from suburban Philadelphia. And I am a recovered food addict just for today. And um, can you hear me okay? I'm on my Bluetooth. Okay. Yeah, um, we hear you fine. Thank you. Okay, thanks. Okay, I have had many men who had, for example, worked a period of months on some problem or business deal which was to be settled on a certain date favorably to them. They took a drink a day or so prior to the date, and then the phenomenon of craving at once became paramount. Well, hmm. I had a conversation recently with a dear friend who is a recovered codependent who made a comment about me. She said, your timing is terrible. Like my timing is off. And, and she was commenting on something that, on a general thing, and I thought about this and I meditated about this. And the guiding meditation that I use when I think about such things is that God, my true self, and now are all the same thing. Now, my friend was talking about some relatives who were addicts and, and gave a little tale that their licenses, these two people both had their licenses taken away. And it was taken away, they were taken away for non-payment of traffic tickets. People asked her, well, did they have DUIs? They thought they had DUIs. No, they just didn't pay these tickets. They kept getting the tickets in the mail. They didn't pay them, they didn't pay them, and they didn't pay them. And finally, they had their licenses taken away for years, 10 years in one case. And it really, that brought my attention to this, this whole disease we have, that it has this aspect of too much right now. There's, there's the craving. Oh, I'll have some, then I'll have some more, then I'll have some more. That's my illness speaking. I have a craving and I can't stop. And so there's too much right now, and there's too little and too late that, you know, not paying the tickets on time, not getting the business deal set because it gets sabotaged the day before. And that this is what, this is a piece of our crazy behavior. This is, this is what we do. And we don't have to do that. We, we do have a power of choice, but we have to see what is the nature of our disability? And we have to stop doing it one day at a time, whatever that nature is. Thanks for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Suji. Leah, you're next. Thank you, Katie. Hi, everybody. It's Leah M. Recovered Compulsive Overeater. I do not hold with those who believe this, that alcoholism is entirely a problem of mental control. I've had many men who had, for example, worked a period of months on some problem or business deal, which was to be settled on a certain date favorably to them, and they took a drink. Um, I believe that's referring to uh, Bill Wilson, who had this wonderful business opportunity as long as he stayed sober. And of 
okay, you know, he was dry. And, uh, you know, they all met to discuss this business deal. And they started, uh, you know, passing around a bottle that he hadn't drank before. And suddenly the thought crossed his mind, you know, it would be a great idea to take a drink. And, of course, he got drunk and lost the opportunity. You know, I think it's a great paragraph because it stresses the fact that we have a twofold disease. Uh, the big book describes, you know, our illness as a, a physical allergy and a mental obsession, not an emotional one. Certainly, sometimes there are emotional excuses, uh, but, you know, oftentimes we're just uh, making a decision at a, at a stupidity. I mean, we often hear in a way that our problem is physical, emotional, and spiritual. The big book text does not use the word emotional to describe our problem. Uh, it uses the word mental. That's because our reasons for returning to the food are often just insane. It's this mental click, this twist that sometimes doesn't depend how we're feeling at all. I mean, I can certainly look back at my history. I could be having a perfectly wonderful day, you know, maybe be in a great relationship or accepted to an Ivy League college. That was a great day. Or get a job promotion, you know. Um, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, this thought would cross my mind that a candy bar wouldn't hurt me. And I would stop off at a convenience store, and this experiment would go so well, you know, I'd have another candy bar, and then I'd eat some chips, and then I'd have some donuts, and then I'd go through the drive through and then I'd eat a, you know, gallon ice cream. <laughs> you know, that starts another journey uh, to the asylum for Leah. So it doesn't do us any good to figure out what's eating us. What does us good is to realize that we keep finding excuses to go back to the foods that we know deep down in our hearts we cannot eat without consequences, without developing cravings. That is the real problem. That's what the big book stresses and teaches us. Twofold illness, allergy of the body, obsession of the mind. Unfortunately, OA got off, uh, you know, on the wrong road with the threefold illness, the big book makes it very clear, twofold addiction. The first part of our addiction is that we're powerless over food. We get these, uh, you know, uncontrollable physical cravings when we eat certain foods. Um, that's the allergy of the body. And, of course, the second part is that uh, we can't manage our lives in relation to our powerlessness over food. We get this mental obsession that sends us back to those very foods uh, that um, we know will call, cause these cravings. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Okay, would anybody else like to share on these two paragraphs before we move on? So, this is Liz. Can I share? I'm sorry, I couldn't understand your name. Lou? Lou, and there was someone else? And Vasa. Okay, Lou, Lou and Vasa. Sorry, it was Liz, Sue, and Vasa. Right. Liz, Liz, Sue, and Vasa. Thank you. But I think Sue came in first. Okay. Is it Sue? Okay, go ahead. Yep, it's Sue. (laughs) Hi, everybody. Um, Good morning. My name is Sue um, V. from Connecticut, recovered compulsive overeater. And, yeah, I'm so enjoying reading this doctor's opinion with the group and... um, you know, for me, I, I, every page I read, I've, I'm so reminded that it was not that long ago that these pages did not sink into me. As much as I read them 
and knew them, and I have been in, you know, in a program in OA for 15 years, and it took leaving OA and getting to a bottom that the bottom that you, not the, like, in measurement to anyone else's bottom was that bad, but for me it was the bottom because I had given up. I had, um, and I didn't even trust anything or that there was a solution out there anymore. And, um, you know, but some things jangled in my head and, you know, and I did pray for, I did pray, you know, to God to um, show me a bottom. But I was scared of that prayer because they always say, be careful what you pray for. But I didn't want to die from this disease um, and I knew it was slowly, subtly taking me down. Um, and I knew it. But um, that prayer, you know, it got me to the point where I picked up and list, picked up the phone and I heard this meeting. And that's what got me to hear it. That's what got me to hear this. I was, A, con- you know, powerless. I knew I was powerless. It took me knowing it for two years before I could really get anywhere. And then... When I heard the meeting and I heard people with the solution living in the solution, I developed hope again. And I just kept listening and I was afraid of that hope. But nonetheless, you know, I can tell you this, six months later, six months later after having worked the steps with someone, I am different completely in terms of how my life is. Like, it's just totally different. And... um I believe that I've had that spiritual awakening and now I get these words, you know, I get these words and what I want to do is communicate these words to others, you know, that's really what I know has to happen because it's the, um, I, I heard someone previously share that, you know, there are people that die from this disease. It's not their fault. It's not that they don't try. I tried for a long time. I tried, I tried, I didn't get it. I don't know why, why I don't know. I don't have to answer that today, but I I know today I did find that solution. All I can do is try to carry the message and hope that, you know, other people find it too. So that's it for me. Thanks. Okay, thank you. Uh, Liz, your turn. Hi, this is Liz. I'm a compulsive overeater from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And um, I just wanted to comment on the line that we had a, a opportunity that would work out in our favor and then chose that completely inopportune moment to pick up. And I just wanted to make a contrast between life before recovery and life after because um, my life before recovery completely agrees with that um, phenomenon. You know, whether it was in school, if I had a major exam coming up, what would I do but spend the entire night eating when I was supposed to be studying and then I would have to wake up first thing in the morning to study and be cramming at the last minute um, when I was a good student and the exam could have very easily gone in my favor. Um, or if I had a big date coming up with someone I really liked and uh, and what would I do if I get, get myself in a complete food fog instead of um, being in a mental state where I could be present with that person and be my true self. Um, But after recovery, after um, forming a relationship with God and working through these 12 steps, 
um, I don't have to do that to myself anymore. And um, to, to give a major recent example, I um, was able to complete a PhD without um, breaking my abstinence at the end. And, um, and that was such a miracle to get through writing a thesis, doing a thesis defense, and um, submitting a thesis without going back to the food was just an absolute miracle that I could get through this major life milestone without using the food. And the reason I was able to get through it was because I had a different way of dealing with life by um, relying on God and having a way to deal with the... um, even the positive opportunities that come into my life that I didn't know how to handle um, before recovery. So I just wanted to share that hope that there is a solution and that um, we don't have to keep pulling down the good things in our life on our heads because in recovery we can uh, enjoy them as they're meant to be enjoyed. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you. Okay, Vasa, your turn. I'm here. Thank you, Katie, for your service. And I'm Vasa, recovered compulsive overeater, calling from Foxborough, Massachusetts. And it is so good to get back from the beginning of the big book, just to remind me of the pain that I was when I came in and where I am today with my life. And um, again, I heard that I had a disease. And that's really scared me so much. And I, and but I didn't want to stop eating, but it scared me. I say, if I don't stop, then I'm just gonna die. So, and nothing and nobody in this world could have made me stop. My power, my willpower failed me, and I finally gave in to the food addiction. I said, God, you know, I, I, you know, I was not I surrendered then, but I remember saying in my mind, I'm just going to die fat and miserable, and that's where I, I was until I found recovery, until I came to my first meeting. And again, this person was 12-stepping me for about a week before I came to my first meeting, and I found hope where I had lost hope, I found the solution. I was promised if I work the program, if I follow the big book, the instructions in the big book, and I will get better, like the 100 people that got better, the 100 alcoholics that got better. It gave me so much hope, and I said I got nothing to lose because I was dying anyways. Uh, And... um, Again, for me, I was told to surrender to God and to ask God for forgiveness for my my disease. Uh, I had no control over it and to forgive myself because it's a disease. It's not like I didn't try. I tried for 25 years of my life to control it. I was powerless. I couldn't do it. So the key it was to surrender to God and ask God to help me. And that was the, again, and then throw myself into the program. God was not going to give it to me, you know, on a tray. 
you know, I needed to do the footwork. I needed to, you know, be abstinent. I had to give up the, the and the sugars, because I realized it was a, um, it was a drug, and it was going to kill me if I didn't stop doing that. And I could not work the program, the steps without getting my mind clear. So that is my story. And then to do service to help others from this deadly disease, to tell them what I am doing, what God is doing for me in my life that I couldn't do for myself. So thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Vasan. I will now ask Larry to read the next four paragraphs. Thanks, Katie, for your service. Larry Kay, uh, Recovered Compulsive Reader from Chicago. The classification of alcoholics seems most difficult and in much detail is outside the scope of this book. There are, of course, the psychopaths who are emotionally unstable. We are all familiar with this type. They're always going on the wagon for keeps. They are over-remorseful and make many resolutions, but never a decision. There's the type of man who is unwilling to admit that he cannot take a drink, Larry. Um, He plans various ways of drinking. He changes his brand or his environment. There is the type who always believes that after being entirely free from alcohol for a period of time, he can take a drink without danger. There is the manic depressive type who is perhaps the least understood by his friends and about whom a whole chapter could be written. Then there are types entirely normal in every respect, except in the effect alcohol has upon them. They are often able, intelligent, friendly people. All these and many others have one symptom in common. They cannot start drinking without developing the phenomenon of craving. The phenomenon, as we've suggested, may be the manifestation of an allergy, which differentiates these people and sets them apart as a distinct entity. It has never been, by any treatment with which we are familiar, permanently eradicated. The only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. Okay, so... You know, the first thing, you know, there's a lot of information here. You know, classification is important. You know, I need to know what I'm up against. And, you know, I know that um, if I, I know today that if I don't understand the doctor's opinion and all this information, the rest of the big book, which is the practical program of action, that's what will get me well, will not make sense to me. That's my personal experience. Um so the classifications that, you know, what is a classification? It's a process of identifying something, you know, according to shared qualities or characteristics. You know, and as Dr. Silkworth suggests, um, it, it is indeed difficult, perhaps outside of the scope of the big book. I mean, you're talking about things like psychopath, the first one he mentioned. Um, you know, that's, that's a person who suffers from a mental disorder, but with, you know, perhaps abnormal or violent behavior, you know, fairly complex condition, probably outside the scope of, of, of what we're talking about in the book. They talk about the type of man who's unwilling. Um, he's unwilling. He can't, you know, to take a drink. Uh, excuse me. He's unwilling that he can't take a drink. And there's will and there's won't. And, uh, you know, this person is, um, is owned by a won't. And then there's the manic depressive type. You know, and Dr. Silkworth says not well understood at that time. You know, today we often refer, you know, we, we diagnose those people as bipolar. So he's talking about a lot of concepts that, that have evolved over time. 
And then he goes on and he says, then there's the type of person who appears normal in every respect. See, I, I identify with that. I, I, <laughs> I uh, probably thought as many people did when you heard that, well, that's me. I'm, I'm normal in every respect, except in the effect alcohol has upon them. They're often able, intelligent, friendly people. We're, we're people that, you know, we, we can show ability and, and intelligence. And, and sometimes, uh, like a broken clock that's, you know, that's right twice a day, um, we're friendly. And, and we can do good things for other people. So what Dr. Silkworth is saying here is if a person is an alcoholic, they share one common symptom. We, what is it? Well, we can't start drinking. We, for us, we can't start eating our binge substances without developing that phenomenon of craving. And it's back to what's already been mentioned, the, the twofold nature of our disease, the allergy of the body, that manifestation of an allergy, and the obsession of the mind. But then probably the most important thing that I read for me that I'm reminded is the only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. The food has to die 100%. And, and I didn't like that. I didn't like that. Because, you know, we've always heard about moderation, you know, and the idea that someone could teach me to eat more responsibly. In my personal experience, and I, I had one with, I mean, you could pick a, I tried them all, but I'll just mention like Weight Watchers. There's nothing wrong with it. It's probably, a, it's a really good program. And it works for the normal person. It's just one problem here with me. I'm not normal. I have this disease. So you can give me a point system. You can give me a moderation management system. You can give me the proper balance of the food groups. You know, we talk a little bit about a little behavioral moderation thrown in. And then, like a lot of things, you know, give me some free points, kind of a built-in cheating process, a reward. You know, I many times, like you did, I rewarded myself after a, a, a hard day, after an easy day, after joyful, sad. I, I, I Sad, I need a reward. Joyful, let me celebrate. So, you know, there's two types of people that do heroin. There's someone who tried it, and they can stop if they have a good enough reason to stop. When I was doing my heroin, my food, I was the second person. I had this disease. I was a heroin addict that has this twofold nature of this disease. And if I did, the only thing that we can suggest, that's a nice word, suggest. The only thing for you, Larry, is you, the, the food has to die 100%. Those underlying substances... Has, has to be put down 100% in order for me to benefit from this practical program of action, which is um, a spiritual solution. That's why today <clears throat> the miracle of, of Overeaters Anonymous is the desire is gone. The reason I'm not eating today is because the desire for, to pick up has been removed for me. 100% it's gone. With that, I'll pass. Thank God for Alcoholics Anonymous. Thank you, Larry Kay. I appreciate your share. And uh, who would like to share on these four paragraphs? This is Bella. Can I share? Okay, I have Bella, and then I heard someone else. Nicole. Nicole. Okay, Bella, and then Nicole. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Bella, and I am a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Katie, for doing this service, and thank you very much, everybody on the line. 
וואו, I love this paragraph that we just read. For me it's a freedom. The only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. Thank you God that now I am in the program and I understand my disease. Yes, I have a disease that it's on a physical level, on the mental level, and on a spiritual level. And yes, I have an allergy in the body. It's nothing to do with me. It's nothing because of me. This is the way I was born, that my body has an allergy. And the same thing that there are people that they have allergies for nuts. They are, they, they are people that they, ha- they have allergies to fish. And it's okay for them, so they know they are not allowed to, to eat those allergies things for them. And I, till I came to the program, I didn't know that I have an allergy in the body. And yes, the allergy I cannot control. And for me, it's a, <clears throat> it's a freedom, it's a relief to know the only relief. Yes, just the first thing is to, to, to be aware of what is my allergy food, what is my alcoholic food. Yes, and for me it was a, a, a wonderful thing just to know that as soon as I know what is my alcoholic food, I don't put them in my body, and then I can do the, the steps. And the first step is to accept and admit. It's such a wonderful feeling, yes, to accept and admit that I am powerless. I am powerless of my allergy. I am powerless of those food that I cannot eat. And this is the relief. And now I am able to build a connection with myself and with the higher power, to accept the higher power as a loving and respectful power. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Okay, Nicole, your turn. Thank you, Bella. Hi, this is Nicole S. I'm a um, recovered compulsive reader from Colorado. Um, thank you, everyone, for your service this morning. And um, I just want to talk about um, the uh, second paragraph that says he plans various ways of drinking, changes his brand or his environment, um, and willing, you know, unwilling to admit that he cannot take a drink. And um, I just remember so many times um, changing, you know, from more to more natural sugars, changing from, um, you know, different brands. Um, and, you know, just being um, just unwilling to admit that I couldn't have certain kinds of foods and trying um, different ways to eat these kind, kinds of foods because I, I just couldn't admit that. And um, then the other part, believing that after being entirely free from alcohol for a period of time, he can take a drink without danger. And I remember when I was in college, I had a professor that said it takes 30 days to break a habit and I saw my compulsive eating as merely a habit. And I tried, um, I thought, as soon as I can get to that 30-day mark, I'll be good. And I'll have the habit broken and I can just eat whatever I want. And um, I could never get to that, that 30 days. And um, I would, 
I just kept trying and trying and trying. And um, a couple times I got really close, and I remember that, you know, there might have been only once during that time that, that I binged um, and um, in that 30-day period and thought that, well, I'm, I'm working there, I'm getting there, and as soon as I can get to that 30 days, I'll be cured. And that day absolutely never came. And um, at, at the end, you know, the only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. And um, it was so freeing to finally finally realize that, that, you know, I was never going to get to that 30 days of, um, you know, trying to control um, my, my disease and trying, um, you know, plowing through, trying to um, uh, be, be abstinent all on my own. Um, and, and still eating my my binge foods, um, so it, it was really encouraging to just know that I just you know it's it's entire abstinence that is the only solution I can quit trying. Um, so that's all I have to share. Thank you for letting me share. Okay, we have time for one more share. Would someone like to take that spot? Carolyn's New York. Okay, Carolyn, you're up. Thank you. Um, Entire abstinence, yeah, my definition of that has changed over time. Um, I used to think it was only certain foods, and then over the course of 11 years, that list has gotten, the list of non-abstinent foods has gotten longer and longer, and vice versa. Um, Initially, I I felt that kind of constraining, and now I find it quite liberating, because there's so much I can't have, I don't even bother thinking about it. You know, I I know what I can have, and I bring those foods when I go somewhere. Um, At the point where I bring part of my meal to restaurants and I might wind up just bringing all of it. And if somebody else is paying, say, you know, listen, this is my story. I'm on a special diet. Either it's okay or it's not. Um, You know, and also my definition has changed in the sense that there is no longer such a thing as extra abstinent food. Those two words do not go together. For years they did for me. Um, When somebody said slip, I I thought, oh, well, you know, so an extra apple is okay. It's not a big deal. It's a food that's on my food plan. You know, it's only an apple. I'm not going to get fat from it. Well, you know, it it was willfulness. And it was taking, you know, control again of my eating, thinking I could handle it. And, of course, the apple slid into the apple and the cheese stick slid into eventually the parking lot and the sugar binge. And it happened over and over and over again. And I just had to be beaten into a pulp before I finally accepted that, you know, the reality, very harsh reality, that there is no extra. There's no extra bite. It doesn't matter what the heck it is, a vegetable, a fruit, um, you know, sugar. It, it really doesn't matter. And sugar also for me now, it, there's like a list of 30 things that are sugar. Anything with an OSE at the end, um, for example, dextrose, sucrose, you, 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 fructose, you know, you name it. And then anything, you know, with certain other last uh, letters. I, I have a huge list. And I carry it with me because I don't want to be, you know, sucker punched at the grocery store buying something that has no sugar grams but has something else in there that's going to trigger me. And as soon as something tastes vaguely sweet to me, and it doesn't matter whether it's a vegetable or, or anything else, I just stop because nothing Nothing is worth triggering my allergy today. Um, I want to be joyous, happy, happy, joyous, and free, and I cannot do that if I am thinking about food more than about life. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you. Okay, well, we've come to the end of our time. Thank everyone who shared today, and I will ask Michelle H. to please read A Vision for You. Michelle H., Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. 
God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Pass.